Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Worst to Best presented by the Man Insights Podcast. Uh, I told you I was going to try to do these at least once a month since when I did my first one for Spider-Man it went about an hour and a half, a little more than an hour and a half. So, you know, with these movies, especially when it's the big franchises, not a lot that I'm going to, you know, not, not really very little chance of me getting all that out of the way in less than an hour or so. Well, then again, it depends on what franchise I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, if you already noticed from the title of this one and the thumbnail as well, I will be talking about the live-action Batman franchise, uh, ranking them from worst to best. And no, I am not including the Adam West Batman movie, uh, because in most conversations, uh, when we talk about the Batman movies, we only talk about the ones since 1989. And, um, well, don't want to waste any more time, so let me just get right to this. Coming in at number 8 on my list of worst to best for Batman. Well, I mean, of course it is. It's the worst on most people's list. Batman and Robin from 1997, 98. Uh, of course, it stars George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman and Alicia Silverstone and yeah I mean I can go I can just ramble on the usual stuff that people talk about with regards to how much they hate this movie and you know because it's very easy to do so you know bat nipples and all that stuff um but I mean yeah it is to me it is definitely the worst of the Batman movies same same for a lot of people but I, I do have some friends out there who absolutely love this movie and that is fine you know Film is subjective, you know, people like what they like, they hate what they hate, and as I always say, even if I don't like the movie overall, I can always find something about it that I do like and that I do enjoy and gives me a reason to watch it as many times as I do. And then for Batman and Robin, that thing that, you know, makes me enjoy watching it is, um, well, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy because... I, I've always been a fan of Uma Thurman. Uh, she's a very great actress. She's she of course is absolutely beautiful, um, and and yeah, for most people that I've talked to about this, they agree that Uma Thurman tends to be the best part of this movie. And uh, actually, if you remember from one of my uh, Snyder Cut episodes of this podcast, I talked about the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher Batman films last November, twenty eighteen. Uh, where I, you know, shared a lot of my feelings and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff for those movies. Uh, but this one, it's, you know, I'm trying to go a little more in-depth of how I feel about some of these movies. And with Batman and Robin, um, uh, this year was the 22nd anniversary of it, I believe. So then, I, I guess that means it came out in 1997. Uh, it was a few months ago, actually, that it was, uh, that I was watching it. Because it was the, because this, this, this year is the 80th anniversary of Batman because he debuted in 1939, and also this year was the 30th anniversary of the first Batman film 19, in 1989, which, don't worry, I will get to that. Um, so, that same weekend, I watched that film, uh, yeah, I think it was in June, and then a couple of days later, it was the 22nd anniversary of Batman and Robin, and I watched that film as well. And just, it has its charming moments, it does. I mean, because, like, George Clooney... George Clooney is a great actor. He's done a lot of great shows, a lot of great movies, and and most people agree he was he was very good as Bruce Wayne. He just was not good as Batman. 
Um, particularly because, like, when he's in the costume, in most of the Batman movies and in, and in the animated sh- movies and the cartoons and the shows and all that and the video games, that but when he's when when Bruce Wayne is is in the Batman suit and wearing that cowl and all that. He do, he changes his voice, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, or for the or as with the case with Ben Affleck's Batman with a voice modulator. Um, but with George Clooney as Batman, he did not change his voice at all, and that has always been something that bugs me. Uh, and even and well, and you can even say with uh, with Adam West, he's uh, he, he he didn't change his voice when he put on the Batman suit either. Um, I don't know, because like. Because you'd figure if you know if Batman was a real thing, you'd want to change your voice so that people don't instantly recognize you, you know. But that's just you know one of my little gripes about this. But um, and of course you know the bat nipples, as everyone always wants to point out, you know. But when they talk about the bat nipples, they always talk about Batman and Robin. They forget that it was in Batman Forever as well. And again, I'll get to that one in a little bit. Um, and of course I'll. Uh, the portrayal of Bane in this film, I just absolutely fucking hated it so much. Uh, the mask was good, you know. They got that. They got they got that right at least. Uh, it's just they made him to such a. As I said in my podcast last again last year, that they took a great character who was famous for breaking Batman's back, and they just turned him into a brain dead joke and I fucking hate that so much and it's just I really I really I just hated how much they did I mean for for it to be the first live action depiction of Bane that that's what they did it pissed me off so much even back then I was 10 years old at the time and even back then I knew that this was bullshit uh you know, but Chris O'Donnell, you know, I've, I've, he's another one that I've always liked him. He's a very good actor as well, and I did, li- I did like him as Robin. Um, the only thing that, that kind of annoyed me with the, him and Batman and Robin is nothing wrong with his performance. He, I thought he was, he did very well. Is the costume? He's supposed to be Robin in the film because you know, again, Batman and Robin. But the costume he's wearing is the Nightwing costume, and that's another one that I hate. That they they wasted the Nightwing outfit. On the worst Batman movie ever made, <sighs> and again, that's another unforgivable thing. But you know what? We're we're gonna have a proper Nightwing coming to Titans very soon, so I look forward to that. Um, you know, and I've and I've have seen the leaked set photos of of uh, uh, Brandon Thwaites. I have no fucking idea how to say his name. Uh, him dressed in the Nightwing suit, and it looks great. So I look forward to seeing that in action. <laughs> But just, yeah, I hated that they took the Nightwing suit and wasted it on this movie because cause Nightwing is my second favorite DC Comics character after Superman. He goes, Superman, Nightwing, then Batman. I know that might be a controversial you know, opinion for, for some people, but that's how I, I rank my, my favorites. It's Superman, Nightwing, Batman, The Flash. As far as like you know, my 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 Mount Rushmore of DC Comics heroes. 
and uh, and Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl, as uh, the second live-action depiction of Batgirl, because of course, you know, there was uh, the version on the Adam West TV show, and, and I, I enjoyed her on there, she was, she was lovely, and Alicia Silverstone, you know, another good actress, beautiful, of course. I just did not like her at all in this movie, and again, nothing. That doesn't mean she's a bad actress, because there's a lot of great actors that have done a lot of shit movies. You know, George Clooney, brilliant actor, Oscar-winning, um, Oscar-winning, you know, performer, you know, actor, producer, and all that good stuff. He's, you know, people love George Clooney. Um, but you know, was this movie was de was definitely one of his worst outings, uh, and he and he happily acknowledges that and admits that and takes, you know, the blame for that. Uh, and even Joel Schumacher takes, he takes all the blame for for the movie being what it was. Uh, in the shadow, shadow of the Bat documentary, I was watching that on Saturday because you know, last Saturday, Saturday, September twenty first, it was Batman Day, so I watched the six part Shadow of the Bat documentary. And um, that was one of the things that that Joel Schumacher said, that he he takes he takes full responsibility for what Batman and Robin became. He's like, you know, it's like I was I was the director, I made the movie, you know, so it's it's my fault. It's you know basically what he was saying, and I respect that because uh, also with Joel Schumacher, he gets a lot of shit for the Batman movie, movies that he made. <sighs> but. And everyone just thinks that because he did these two Batman movies that he's such a horrible director, but he's not. He's made great movies. He made he did The Lost Boys, Saint Elmo's Fire, Flatliners, Eight uh, Millimeter, um, uh, Time to Kill, I believe was another one. Um, what was what's the other one? What was the other one? Phone Booth, uh, Number Twenty Three. He's made a lot of great movies, you know, or at least that I find to be great. Um, so just having two missteps with these Batman movies does not negate the fact that he he can make great movies. So as I always say, I always give him a pass, you know, because he made a lot of other great movies that I loved. Um, but with Batman and Robin, the other things that I, I really like the score, like Elliot uh, Elliot uh, Go Elliot Goldsmith or Gold something, whatever his name is. Let me look that up real quick. Um, Batman and Robin. All right, here we go. Batman and Robin. I just gotta look up who, what his name was again, because I really like his score. He's he this is the score that he did for Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. I really enjoyed. Let me. Where is his name? There. It, Elliot Goldenthal, that's his name. Yeah, I really enjoyed his his score for the for these two Batman films. Um, I mean, I know most people they prefer the you know Danny Elfman score, and, and that's fine. I love his score as well, but for whatever reason, it's just I don't know. I really liked uh, the Elliot Elliot Goldenthal score for these films because uh, to me it sounded more heroic, uh, and I, I guess I just like I like that the heroic sounding score for these two films. Um, and and then the, you know that the other the, the regular motion picture soundtrack that I enjoyed that as well. You know, had a uh, the end is the beginning is the end by the Smashing Pumpkins, a great song. And then they had the you know flip side of that one, beginning is the end is the beginning. Um, I'm looking at the score right now. They also had a uh, look into my eyes by Bone Thugs and Harmony, uh, Harmony rather. Um, 
there. Uh, Revolution by R.E.M. Uh, Lazy Eye by Google Dolls. Gotham City by R. Kelly. Uh, yeah, good, a good soundtrack. And, and there it is right there. Batman Overture by Elliot Goldenthal. Um, I mean, just overall... I mean... Uh, oh, look at that. The end of the beginning's end actually won a Grammy for Smashing Pumpkins, so that's awesome. Um... And just you know, and oh yeah, and before I have to I have to comment on him as well. The Arnold Schwarzenegger as as uh, Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze is one of my favorite Batman villains. Like one of like if you know if I have to rank the 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 villains from from for Batman, he would definitely be in my top five, maybe even top three. Because uh, especially you know if you've if you've seen the animated series and the the episode Heart of Ice, you know such a beautiful and amazing episode and just you, you they, they make you feel so much genuine sympathy for the character it's so brilliantly done and then here he's a quipping one-liner uh which i mean it's Arnold Schwarzenegger he had, you know that that's his, that's how he is that's the kind of actor that he is he has he has the catchphrases and the one-liners you know so i'm not faulting him for that and he's and he loved it. He loved it. He's very proud of this. So, um, that is a, that is you know good for him. And I'm, I remember that I don't know if he still has it. That he actually has the Mister Freeze suit in his home, and then he pays Warner Brothers like X amount of money every year to keep it in in his home. So, you know that's pretty cool. Because uh, he was very proud uh, of getting to play this character. And you know, and you can you can see that he's having he had a lot of fun filming it, but it's just, I mean, it was so cheesy, and to me, like, I like cheesy, but just sometimes it was too cheesy where I just hated it, um, which is you know often my gripe with the MCU films that sometimes the co the the comedy gets too cheesy and too comedic, and it just takes you out of the takes me out of the a lot of the the moments in in those movies and that's a lot of how, that's how I felt a lot about with Batman and Robin but just overall I can I can sit down watch the film and have a good time even if the movie sucks you know but that is why it is also number 8 on my list of worst to best Batman films which brings me to number seven. And that is, you know, of course, Batman Forever. Um, and again, Batman Forever gets a lot of shit, again, from Joel Schumacher. Uh, but I, this is one that I actually genuinely enjoy a lot. And... This one I actually had debated a lot on where to rank it because, uh, actually, especially with regards to Batman Returns, um, because sometimes when I watch Batman Forever, sometimes like I'll actually enjoy it more than Batman and Robin, then other times I'll uh, you know enjoy it not as much. Uh, I guess it depends on my mood. So I guess technically you could say it's tied with Batman Returns in my for me, but. You know, for Batman Forever, it's, you know, of course, it's uh, Val Kilmer as Batman and Chris O'Donnell, uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler, Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian, Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, and, um, 
Uh, Jim Carrey is a standout for sure in this movie and, and I am a Jim Carrey fan so getting to see him in this was great um, and uh, you know Elliot Goldenthal he did the score uh, uh, of course as I said already and um, uh, Val Kilmer to me Val Kilmer doesn't get enough love for his performance in Batman Forever because you know he's another one that he you can tell he had a lot of fun making this movie and he had so much fun, you know, being beginning to be Batman, and, and watching the Shadow of the Bad Doctor. I mean, there was a story of where he says how when he found out that he was going to be Batman, he says he was in South Africa researching for a movie, and then he was in a in a cave filled with bats when he found out he was Batman, which I call bullshit on that. But uh, I mean, because that, that that's too on the nose, you know. But. You know that's that's his story, and he loves to share that story. Uh, much like with you know Robert Pattinson saying that he found out he was going to be Batman when he on his first day on the set of Tenet with Christopher Nolan, you know who directed the Dark Knight trilogy, of course. Uh, I will get to those movies, don't worry. Uh, but with Batman Forever, uh, again, it has its it has its good moments, it has its bad moments, and uh, uh, but yeah, Val Kilmer to me. Uh, definitely better than George Clooney. I don't think anyone will debate that with, with as Batman. Uh, but he was also a very, very good Bruce Wayne. Um, and uh, I don't know, just like he he was he's, he was able to capture the you know the playboy debonair side of Bruce Wayne that you know is supposed to be an essential piece of the character. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um. And then you know he he does have it sometimes has like little cheesy lines like like when he's on top of uh, the um, the the police headquarters uh, and Chase has the bat signal because you know she's all hot and horny for Batman and then you know he starts saying like like oh you're trying to get under my cape doctor which you know, some some of the, some of those lines just really I laugh you know because of how bad they are but you know. Again, I can enjoy. I could watch this this movie, and I have a good time every time I watch it. And um, <clears throat> uh, what else? God damn. Uh, and this is also yeah. Chris O'Donnell this is where we are introduced to him uh, as Dick Grayson, Robin. And I really enjoyed his performance as Robin. And um, the thing is, like, even though Batman Forever was a a much lighter Batman film compared to Batman Returns. It was originally going to be a much darker story, um, and even some of the deleted scenes uh, you can see, you know, depicted a, little, a bit of a darker story, and and some of the scenes that they filmed but aren't featured on any like deleted scene co compilations. Like one of them was, you know, the part when Riddler punches the security guard when they're robbing that jewelry store. Uh, apparently, there's a part afterwards where he be he takes his 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 metal little Riddler cane and beats the shit out of the guy. That's not featured in any deleted scene things. Um, I think it's in the graphic novel comic book version of Batman Forever. Because I, I used to have that one. And a lot of what was deleted from the theatrical film, they have it in that graphic novel. Like the original opening sequence where uh, Two-Face breaks out of Arkham Asylum. Uh, where you see one of the guards uh, murdered and written on the wall in blood. It says the bat must die. Um, and then uh, the... What was the other deleted scene? Uh, you know, that after 
Riddler and Two-Face break into Wayne Manor that, and then Bruce is in the cave. He's in the cave with that giant bat because that was the bat that he saw when he was a child and it, you know, you know, that's where his, you know, transformation into Batman had started. And they, that, that deleted scene is on the DVD and Blu-ray sets. Uh, and just wonder, like, with how, with the score the, from, from uh, Elliot Goldenthal, how, what, what specific kind of sound would have accompanied that scene because the deleted scene has no music whatsoever um and also that there was a deleted scene where like where it shows batman being uh tricked into going to these different spots where he thinks that riddler and two-face are because riddler was able to manipulate batman's uh software somehow uh they don't though they don't really explain it but there's a deleted scene explaining that because when Riddler and Two-Face are just, like, robbing all these, you know, banks and uh, casinos and jewelry stores all over Gotham. It seems like Batman is just sitting back doing nothing. Um, but, yeah, if they had included some of, those, some of those deleted scenes, it would have explained why Batman was not doing anything. Uh, because that's what it's, it makes it seem like Batman is just letting all of this happen, but he was not letting it happen. He was trying to stop it, but he was tricked into going to the wrong locations, according to his bat scanners, you know? Which is a, is a neat little thing that is very much a, a Riddler move that I love and wish they could have shown off in the movie. Because the Riddler is supposed to be a, a genius. Like he's a psychological villain. Which is why he's one of my favorite. Might even be my absolute favorite villain. Uh, even more so than the Joker. I know, again, you know, that's blasphemous you know, for DC Comics fans. That the Joker has to be number one. But for me, Riddler is, is number one because he's a psychological villain. And, I don't know, I'm more into the psychological aspect of stuff like that. And Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian. I mean... I don't know, she was a little... Sometimes she was a little much for me, where... Uh, like, you know, she meets, she meets Batman for the first time, and of course she's, you know... Mesmerized by, by, his, by his presence when she first sees him. And then, um... And then she meets Bruce Wayne later on, and she's like, you know, she seems okay with him. Goes on a on the date with him to the to the circus where, you know, the Grace the Graysons die, and when Two Face tries to blow up the the, the circus, basically. Um, uh, but then she's like, oh, I've met someone, which and she's meaning Batman, and and then later on, you know, she tells Batman to meet her at her place. And then Batman goes to her place, and uh, she kisses Batman, and then decides, uh, I've met someone else. Like, what the fuck? It's so confusing, and I hated that part, but, uh, I mean, it is what it is. You know, again, I, I still enjoy watching the movie every time. Um, and, you know, again, and I did love Chris O'Donnell as, as Robin. In fact, I actually dressed as Robin for Halloween that year, uh... Actually, even with Batman and Robin, I dressed up as Robin for Halloween that year as well. So yeah, I was Robin twice, just like I was Heath Ledger Joker, like like two or three times for Halloween as well. Uh, actually, I think I was him four times, because I did it three years consecutive, skipped one year, and then did it again the following year. Um, yeah, but anyways, uh, uh, the score again, you know, Elliot Goldenthal, great score. Like I said, his score is, is, is very heroic, and I love that. Uh, I like I like heroic sounding scores for my for my hero movies. Um, but the soundtrack, like the motion picture soundtrack, to, to, is one of my absolute favorites. 
Um, and of course, you know, when you think of the soundtrack for Batman Forever, most people, they always go to Kiss from a Rose for, for, by Seal. And I get that. It's a great song. Um, it's Seal's biggest hit. And I believe he won a Grammy and an Oscar for it. I'm not sure. Uh, let me check that out. Because I know he won a Grammy. Uh, yeah, he won a Grammy. Um, uh, but the songs that the song that stands out for me from the Batman Forever soundtrack is "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me" by U2. It is such a awesome song, great song. Uh, and it was, this song was actually my introduction to the band U2. And when I heard that song, I became a fan instantly. And uh, even the music video for the song is awesome. It's it's like an anim it's like an animated video with s select scenes from Batman Forever spliced into it, and I love that. Uh, I thought it was awesome. And the other song that I really like from it is a uh, Bad Days by the Flaming Lips. That's another great song. That's the song that actually plays uh, when Riddler returns home after he uh, uh, killed uh, his supervisor at Wayne Enterprise. Um, it's a very good song. It's a much. It's much longer than what they play in the movie. It's a four and a half minute song. It's a very good song, and uh, basically, again, the whole soundtrack to me is great. Uh, yeah, you two got Seal, um, The Offspring, smashed up by performed by them. It's covered by The Damned, uh, Method Man. Uh, yeah. If you haven't heard, listen to the Batman Forever motion picture soundtrack. Check it out on iTunes if it's on there. It's it's not on Spotify. I've looked for it. It's not there. So check for it on iTunes if you can, or even on Amazon Music. Um, but yeah, like overall, like, like I said, overall I can enjoy this movie, and I can sit down, watch it, and never get bored. I I have fun watching these movies, um, and yeah, it is number seven. Uh, a very hesitant number seven on my list of worst to best Batman movies. Uh, bringing me to number six. Batman Returns. Which, again, like I said, I had a hard time deciding between Batman Forever and Batman Returns and where they're going to go. So, But ultimately, I settled on Batman Forever at number seven, Batman Returns at number six. Um... And Batman Returns, of course, is the follow-up to the hit 1989 film directed by Tim Burton, uh, starring Michael Keaton in the star in the starring role, and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, Danny DeVito as Penguin, Christopher Walken as Max Schreck. Uh, so, who else? Uh, uh, shit, I can't remember some of the some of the people in this movie. Uh, let me look up there. The names besides the main people. Uh, all right. Now, of course, you know Michael Goff and Pat Hingle, the only actors to put to, to perform in the four Batman movies as Alfred and Commissioner Gordon. They're the only ones to appear in these in all four of these films. Um, and Michael Murphy as the mayor. He's he's a pretty good actor. He's uh, he was I think he was actually uh, in he was in a X Men. Uh, the Last Stand. I just don't remember who, what character he played. Uh, can't, I can't remember the name. Where it is? Uh, oh yeah, w w Warren Worthington II. He was in that, so you know that's cool. <laughs> um, he's yeah, he, he's he's a very good actor as well. And, you know, let me look at some of the other movies he's done. If I've seen, right, uh, Magnolia, Batman Returns, X Men: Last Stand, uh, uh, and Ewok Adventure. Yikes. <sighs> 
Um, but yeah, he was in those movies. He was oh, shocker! That's a good. That's a that was a pretty an interesting one. Um, and uh, who else? Uh, uh, yeah, Andrew Brynjarski uh, uh, as Chip Shrek. Who, you know, funny fact, fun fact with it with him, he was at, he was Zangief in the uh, Street Fighter movie. Uh, from 1994, 1995, and he was also uh, Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and the pre the prequel of uh, Texas Chainsaw: The Beginning. And and when I've learned that that's who, when I found out that's who it was, I was like, huh, so ah, so that so Leatherface and Zangief was Chip Shrek. That's that's cool. Um, and who I was like the the one that played the the Ice Princess. What's what's her name? I can't remember it. Uh, uh, Christy Conway. Let's see what else she's done. Uh, oh, she hasn't. She hadn't really done much. I, I guess she's uh, she's a retired actress. Because uh, I only see uh, Doc Hollywood, Batman Returns, Husband and Wives, Nina Takes a Lover, Underworld. Not not the Underworld you think of. It's a different Underworld. Uh, My Brother's Ward and Joe Somebody. Hmm. Well, let me check her her IMDb page. See if that one's more detailed. Because usually Wikipedia doesn't give you much details, but, you know, but we'll see here. Um, that's basically it. Yeah, she's she's done some some TV shows, but as far as movies, that's all she has. Yeah. Huh. I guess she didn't want to. She didn't want to do much acting after that. Uh, oh yeah, and Paul Rubens as Penguin's father. Um, so and a uh, Diane Salinger uh, for. The Penguin's mother. Fun fact with a uh, with Penguin's father. Originally, it was going to be Burgess Meredith who played Penguin in the Adam West Batman show, um, and then he, the reason why is because Tim Burton wanted to have he wanted to pay homage to that show by having him in the film, um, and then uh, uh, he but he wasn't able to do it because he was having health issues at the time. And um, but Paul Rubens, so Paul Rubens took his place, which you know Paul Rubens did. Uh, <clears throat> played was a uh, was in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which was Tim Burton's first film. And and he also reprised his uh, his role as the Penguin's father for the se season two of Gotham. And uh, but you know it's it's not meant to connect, obviously. But you know so that's it's that's a cool little little nod here, and you know but. To the film itself, let's see. Let me read. Uh, yeah, here we go. You know, of course, the film surrounds, you know, well, with, with Batman Returns, a lot of critics didn't like it because of how dark it was, um, because it wasn't family friendly and all that stuff, which. Yeah, funny little tidbit about that one, but I'll get I'll talk about that when I get to the other Batman eighty six, not eighty six, Batman eighty nine film. But it's just in the shadow of the Bat documentary, they said the film was never marketed as a family movie. So people that complained that you know I couldn't, my kids were crying and blah 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 blah. It's like it was never marketed as a happy family friendly movie. Yeah, they had their licensing with the toys and you know shit like that, but that's Deadpool. Has 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 a has a toy line, and that's not a family movie either. Uh, so you know what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, but you know I enjoy I can see why some people didn't like it because yeah some it was it to me out of all like the the Batman movies, it is the darkest of the Batman movies in my opinion at least. Um, 
and I do tend to enjoy the darker, more serious superhero films, so, you know, which will explain, you know, my rankings on this list. Um, and, and I can see, I can see the, the faults of what people think for the movie, um, but I really enjoyed it, especially because it's, I mean, because when he, when he, when Warner Brothers asked him to, to, co to come back for this one, for, asked Tim Burton to come back from Batman Returns, he was originally hesitant, didn't want to do it, but then when they said, you know, don't, don't make it a, don't make it as a Batman movie, make it as a Tim Burton movie, and that was the, the idea that intrigued him into, and made him come back, because instead of making another Batman movie, he'd made, he'd have, he decided to make a Tim Burton movie that happened to feature Batman, and this was, you know, a, a pure, pure Tim Burton film. Which might be why they didn't like it so much, um, but at the same time, that's partly why I like it a lot. And uh, and out of the the, t the Timber and Batman films, it is actually with the score. To me, is I find it to be superior to the to the score of the first film by Danny Elfman. Uh, he, he did the score for both films, but and he won an Oscar. I think I think he won an Oscar for the first one. Um, but for me. I, I, know, I just like the score that he did for this one a little bit more. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed it more. I mean, but just. Uh, I mean, and I know why. Pe again, I, know, I understand people not liking it, and it's fine. It's good for them. It's whatever. Uh, but I enjoyed it a lot, and I enjoyed uh, with the uh, Michael Keaton as, as Bruce Wayne, Batman. And uh, like when we first get to see him in this movie, when he's in Wayne Manor, and Commissioner Gordon calls for the signal, and <clears throat> uh, when the signal, when the lights go off, that like, he's sitting there just on his, you know, in his lounge area, and he sees the signal, and it's like, it's like it snaps him out of whatever, you know, whatever he was in at that moment. And apparently, that the, from what I was reading, I think they mentioned in one of the documentaries that Michael Keaton looked at it as um, that that when he becomes Batman, he goes into like a trance, you know, which kind of makes sense. You know, might be a little goofy for some, but you know, it is what it is. And, um, and of course, for most people, the favorite thing about this movie was Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman because whew, she was absolutely beautiful and sexy and goddamn gorgeous and uh, but she was not the first choice for this movie now looking at some of the information here uh, the original actress cast was annette benning and uh, we all love we annette benning's a great actress i love her uh especially loved her in um american beauty she was great in that but she had to pull out of the project because uh she had gotten pregnant just before, like, like one or two weeks before they got started, which sucked for uh, for the production, but you know, of course, they were all happy for her because again, we love Annette Benning. She's a great actress, great woman. Uh, happy for her, for for her, and then some of the other actresses that were actually uh, looked at for it. Let me look at it. it says Susan Sarandon. That's an interesting one. Uh, Meryl Streep, when Parenthes says she was considered too old by Tim Burton, and then. Brooke Shields, and then says Tim Burton, uh, uh, considered her not bankable, huh. and Demi Moore, 
Nicole Kidman, that's fun. that's an interesting one. Uh, Jodie Foster, Gina Davis, which that one makes sense because he Tim Burton tends to work with a lot of people that he's worked before. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, Lena Olin, um, Madonna, Raquel Welsh, Cher, Ellen Barkin, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Lorraine Bracco, uh, Bridget Fonda, and Jennifer Beals. Uh, of course, you know they all missed out to to. <clears throat> To Michelle Pfeiffer, let me let me look at some of these other names. Yeah, uh, Ellen Barkin. Have I have I seen her before? Uh, the, the name seems familiar, but I just don't know. And then Lena Olin. Let me see. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with her, so I don't know. Oh yeah, she was on on that episode of Modern Family. She was one of uh, Phil's arch arch enemies in the real seat. Okay, all right. So yeah, I know her. Uh, Lena Olin uh, doesn't look f familiar to me. Let me see what else she's done. Hmm. Oh, she was in Chocolat. Okay, uh, Queen of the Damned, uh, Mystery Man. Uh, the reader, remember me? Huh, I don't remember seeing. I don't remember seeing her in that one. Haha. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, some of these are just. It's interesting that they were considered like Meryl Streep as Catwoman. Can you imagine that? And Susan Sarandon, Susan Sarandon, and Meryl Streep as Catwoman. Can you imagine how that film would have gone? That would have been an interesting one. Um, Bridget Fonda. Hey, I mean, she's beautiful. Uh, that would have been fun. And Jennifer Beals, that would have been an interesting choice as well. And Jennifer Jason Lee, um, and Raquel Welsh. I mean, um, and honestly, like Michelle Pfeiffer as her, it's like she was able to capture the, like you know, the wholesome naivety of Selena Kyle pre-transformation into Catwoman, and then of course, you know, the sex appeal turned up all the way for Catwoman. Um, Especially like you know when, when Max Shrek pushes her out the window and then she's like you know gets resurrected by the cats, the like the little touches that she put in there like the little where she's twitching a little by like a little bit you know with her head, and then like her eyes flickering and then just wide open when the cat licks her face, you know those were all stuff that she decided to put in for the character and I love that and again the the score by Danny Elfman in the background of that scene was awesome, and I don't know, just. I know the, I know his score for Bat, for the first Batman film got an Oscar nomination, but I his score for Batman Returns is so much better in my opinion. Um, and Danny DeVito as the Penguin, I love that. And uh, even though it was not my first time seeing something with Danny DeVito, it made me a Danny DeVito fan. And looking it up right here, uh, says that. Uh, it says De DeVito was suggested for the role by his friend Jack Nicholson after the financial success of the first film, uh, which of course he was the Joker. And again, I will get to that one. Um, it says that he was four and a half hours of makeup and getting into the costume. Uh, we got it down to three hours by the end, end of the filming. And it says that Dustin Hoffman was originally the choice, first choice to play the Penguin, but he declined. And then other names that are listed on here, I see Marlon Brando. Hmm. John Candy, okay. Bob Hoskins, I could see that. Uh, Ralph White, who's Ralph White? Uh, 
Oh yeah, okay. Um, uh, Dean Martin, interesting choice. Uh, Dudley Moore, uh, that's a that's kind of an out there choice. Uh, Alan Rickman. I mean, as much as great as Alan Rickman was, and as much as I loved him, I, I don't know how I would have felt about him as Penguin. Uh, John Goodman, okay, I can kind of see that. Phil Collins, huh? Did not know that. Uh, Charles Gordon. Uh, oh, oh yeah, I've seen him before. Uh, Christopher Lee. Hmm. Oh, that makes sense because Tim Burton was a was a big Christopher Lee fan. Uh, Joe Pesci. <laughs> oh, I did not know that one. Huh. Interesting. Ray Liotta. Hmm. I would not have liked that. And, and I love Ray Liotta. Uh, Gabriel Gabriel Byrne. Interesting choice. Uh, Alex Rocco. Who are you? Let me look him up because I, I don't. His face does not look familiar to me. Um, see what movies he's done. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, he 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 voiced Carmine Falcone, Falcone in uh, the Batman Year One animated movie. So that's cool. Um, what else did he do that I've seen before? Uh, Smoke and Aces. Uh, Get Shorty. Uh, mm, yeah. oh, that's the only stuff that. He's done that I've seen, so. Huh. Oh, let's see. And he's done a lot of TV. Let me look what he's did. he did for TV. Uh, oh, he was on the, the Batman, you know, Adam West show. So, hey, so he has his roots with Batman. So that's cool. He was on Starsky and Hutch for a couple episodes. Mary Tyler Moore, Chips, Facts of Life, uh, St. Elsewhere, Golden Girls, A-Team, Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Murphy Brown, a couple episodes of The Simpsons, uh, George Carlin show, huh? Uh, did an episode of Family Guy, uh, Home Improvement. He was on. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and oh, Christopher Lloyd, huh? So those are all the people considered. That's an interesting, you know, list of actors considered for that. I, I really had no idea about that one. Hmm. And then, you know, Christopher Walken as Max Shrek says here that, that oh, it says that originally they were going to bring back Harvey Dent, you know, played by Billy D. Williams, but he chose not to, to do it. Huh. It says David Bowie was uh, previously considered for the Joker in the first film. Did not know that. And... And then he he declined so he can be in David Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. And casting director Marion Doherty Burton was initially hesitant to cast Walken as Shrek on the basis that the actor scared him. Huh. Okay then. <laughs> oh, anyways. Um, uh, and of course the, the, the organ grinder uh, played brilliantly by Vincent Schiavelli. I, I hope that's how his name was pronounced. And of course, most people will remember him for, from the movie Ghost. Where he, he was basically the ghost that trained Patrick Swayze. Um, he was a he was a great character actor, so that he was I loved him in that. And then the strong man, uh, his name was Rick Zumwalt. That's a, I've never heard that name before. And his character is listed as tattooed strong man. Yeah, yeah. If you're not, if you don't, if you're not, if you can't place his, his who he is, it, yeah, he's the big guy that Batman shoved the dynamite down his pants and he explodes. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think it's funny when people talk about you know Ben Affleck. Oh, he killed people. Well, you know what? 
Michael Keaton's Batman shoved dynamite down a guy's pants, smiled, and threw him down a hole before he exploded. Yeah. And then the poodle lady, Anna Katarina. Uh, I, I think I remember seeing her in the Death of the Incredible Hulk TV movie. Let me look that up. Yes, that's her. Because <laughs> she looked familiar and the voice was familiar. Yeah, see right here. Death of the Incredible Hulk 1990 TV movie. I, I fucking knew that was her. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, she was yeah she was the poodle lady that when Batman has that that little you know remote battering that hits the clowns and wasn't gonna get at her, but the poodle snatched it, and then it was of course used later on when Penguin and her kidnapped the uh, the Ice Princess, and uh, when they're in the tent and the, the, the ice, no matter how many times I watch it, that scene in the tent when they when they when they kidnap her, I still laugh my ass off. So much to that, even as even at back then, in 1992, I was I was five years old when I saw the movie, and even then I laughed hysterically at that because it's just so funny. That he says he t he tricks her saying he's a talent scout, and I guess she doesn't own a television because he's been all over TV uh, with Max Shrek. Um, but yeah, she believes him. And, uh, he takes the battering, she's like, what is that, a camera or something? And then he goes, say cheese, so she gets up, poses, and then he throws it right at her, and it's just the fucking funniest thing to me, I don't know, I don't know why. And it's like, almost 30 years later, and I still find that scene so hysterical, and I, oh my god. But <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh too hard just thinking about it right now. Oh my god. Oh, it's, it's, and then after that is when... Uh, Batman gets accused of, of pushing her off the balcony when he tries to rescue her. Um, and then that's when we get the cool scene of him gliding down over the people in Gotham that they're in a panic. And then, of course, Bat Penguin's crew, they fucked up the Batmobile, and we get that awesome sequence where he, where the Batmobile, like, comes apart, and it becomes like a, like that little tube thing and goes through that alleyway. That's one of my favorite scenes as well. And then we have the big, you know, climactic finale where, uh, uh, where Bat Penguin dies, uh, and is brought into the, you know, left in the water by the four penguins that found him when he was a baby. And then, you know, uh, Catwoman, uh, dies, you know, for an eighth time, apparently. Because <laughs> every time something happened to her, that's a death. Like when she got pushed out the window by Max Shrek, that's death number one. When Batman knocked her off the balcony and she fell into a dump truck, that was death number two. When Penguin, you know, put the umbrella on her neck and made her fly across the city and she fell into a greenhouse, that's de third death. And then Max Shrek shoots her uh, a couple of times. Uh, let's see, one, two, and three. yeah, and yeah, shoots her four times, and that's four more deaths apparently. And then she takes the taser that she came up in the beginning of the movie and holds on to this through the electrical stuff in the penguin's lair and electrocutes both of them so that he dies, you know, Max Shrek dies, and then she dies. Which, I mean, I, I get, I understand, you know, cats, nine lives, and all that stuff, but uh, she didn't actually die. She just hurt herself several times. Um, but it's okay. Um, uh, and then, you know, the, get the creepy music that plays when Penguin emerges from the, from the water after he fell, presumably what we thought was to his death, and then he emerged with the black stuff coming out of his mouth, which I 
don't know if that was supposed to be blood or whatever it was, but it was fucking creepy. And it still creeps me out now at 32 years old. That when when he comes out of the water and then when they put him in the water and they have that close up of his dead face and all that black shit coming out of his mouth. Again, at 32 years old, that I still get the chills and freaks me the fuck out when I see it. Oy. But I loved it. It's, it was fucking awesome. Uh, sorry that I keep cussing. I just if you know if you know me when I get excited, it just comes out. You know. Oh <sighs> uh, yeah, Batman Returns, number six on my list of worst to best Batman movies. And moving on to number five. The Dark Knight Rises, which to me gets a lot of unnecessary hate from a lot of fans, um, and this is one where I can't say that I understand why they hate the movie. Like, as with with Batman Robin, Batman Forever, Batman Returns, I can see why people didn't like those movies. I do, but with Dark Knight Rises, I do not understand why it gets so much hate by people. Like, I mean, I guess by comparison to the rest of the trilogy, yeah, you can say it's the worst, but. It is not a bad movie at all, in my opinion. In my opinion. So I don't know, and and I don't know if you're if you've been hearing it. You can hear it in the background. I've been listening to the Dark Knight trilogy's music or score for the for the entire time that I've been doing this, and because uh, Hans Zimmer uh, can never go wrong with Hans Zimmer. Um, yeah, because from for the entire Dark Knight trilogy, he collaborated with uh, James Newton Howard um, and a Junkie XL. Uh, with with Hans Zimmer, his score his scores are always brilliant. So, and I especially love his score for Dark Knight Rises, especially the the theme for 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 Bane. That is such an awesome track. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite songs that he ever composed. And um, excuse me. Um. And then also the my other my second favorite from the from this soundtrack at least, um, <clears throat> uh, for this soundtrack my second favorite is <clears throat> excuse me, um, god goddamn sorry I keep I keep burping ugh, uh, but damn anyways yeah when it's I think it's the track is called Rise uh, or no it's Why Do We Fall that's that's the name of the track uh, when uh, Batman jumps, you know, escapes from the pit, uh, uh, at, towards the end of the movie, the, that, that track is my second favorite, because the, the slow build, and then when it just goes quiet for those couple of seconds, and then it builds, it comes, it comes right back in, and when he, when he, you know, when he makes the climb, and then he catches that ledge, and he's able to escape, is awesome. When I got, when I saw that in theaters, I would legitimately got goosebumps for that scene. Um... And of course, you know, Dark Knight Rises it's starred uh, Christian Bale in the title role, um, uh, Michael Caine as Alfred, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, uh, the the great Gary Oldman, the the recently Academy Award winning group Gary Oldman, uh, uh, for as Commissioner Gordon, um, Marion Cotillard as. <clears throat> Um, as we thought was Miranda Tate, turned out to be Talia Al Ghul. Um, Tom Hardy as Bane, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as uh, 
John Blake, who at the end of the movie, his name is Robin, uh, which a lot of people had issues with that, and probably that one I, I can say, yeah, I get it, but the rest of it, no. Um, <clears throat> but just to me, I thought it was one of the... It's just... Because Christopher, with Christopher Nolan, you can never, you can never go wrong with with Christopher Nolan, in my opinion. And because to to me, Christopher Nolan, he I he I have yet to see a bad movie directed by him. Every movie I've ever seen of his, I have absolutely loved. But I haven't seen all of them. I, ha I still have not seen Dunkirk, and I still have not seen Memento. But other than that, he is one of my absolute favorite directors. But I will get to see those eventually. Just like, you know, we got Tenet coming out next year. And no doubt, that's going to be a brilliant film as well. And um, But with Dark Knight Rises, I just... I don't understand why it gets so much hate. Because again, it's Christopher Nolan. You, can, you can't... You can never go wrong with Christopher Nolan. <sighs> and But just... Because especially, like... Because a lot of rumors that I heard... Uh, that if Heath Ledger had not died, you know, back in 2008, uh, which is, you know, this year's 11 and a half years now, um, that, you know, he would have been included in the film, uh, because, uh, wasn't it, Cillian Murphy, he played, a or is it, is it Chillian Murphy? I don't know, either way. Uh, when he, he asked Scarecrow that instead of him being the judge, you know, for, for the, you know, in the movie that, you know, oversaw the, you know, the, 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 you know, like when they have all the the rioters and all this stuff, and they have they're holding court uh, or whatever. That it was supposed to be Joker, kind of like you know, a, like an homage to the cartoon and the comic books, where the joke when they would have Batman when they put Batman on trial, and all of his villains uh, were the jury and the attorneys, and Joker was the judge. Um, and but of course he didn't, so it is what it is and nothing against Cillian Murphy as Scarecrow because he is he is he's he's another brilliant actor that you know who appears in a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies uh because again a lot of directors the best directors they like to work with a select group of people for all their movies and nothing wrong with that it's, I love that too um and and I'll get to more on him when I speak about Batman Begins in a little bit uh but, and and Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Uh, I don't I don't think I mentioned her at the beginning, but anyways, um, I, I when I first heard that she was gonna be Catwoman, I was a little like, I mean, I I was a little like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, I like her, but her as Catwoman, I don't know. But um, she proved me wrong, and uh, made me an even bigger fan of hers. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I keep saying but um on this one. Uh. <clears throat> and and you know if you know they decided to do had they if they had decided to do a spin-off film with her as Catwoman, I would not have minded that at all. I would have loved to have seen that. And and uh, just when we are first introduced to her uh, at Wayne Manor because they're holding an an an, event, an annual event honoring Harvey Dent, and she is uh, dressed as one of the uh, waiters or or maids or wait staff or whatever you want to call it. And she is tasked by Alfred to bring, you know, dinner to Bruce Wayne in, in his side of the house that nobody's allowed to go to. Um, 
But yeah, it turns out that, yep, she's Selena Kyle. She was just in disguise, and she had stolen the pearl necklace uh, and Bruce Wayne's fingerprints from this, his his uh, his safe. And then we we get the nice little little music for Catwoman. The yeah, I would have played the actual track, but you know I already got enough of the music on this one. That I don't want to get a copyright strike for the YouTube upload. So yeah. Uh, probably going to get one anyways. But anyways. Um, and that's when we get to see her. You know being Selena Kyle. Where uh, she knocks the cane out of Bruce's hand. Because you know apparently he's become a cripple. In the eight years. On the timeline between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. And then she opens the window. And backflips out the window. Um, and looked it looked like a very smooth backflip uh and then she takes off all the stuff that was part of her little maid outfit and leaves with uh, <clears throat> uh the congressman which i can't remember what his actual name was but he is the actor that's supposed to play thomas wayne in the joker movie uh so that's an, a nice little interesting you know bit of info right there and trivia right there uh and we also had a uh, john dackett played by can't remember what his name is uh, but he, he played uh, Talos in Captain Marvel, uh, and he was also in Rogue One. Uh, he's a very good actor, I like him. And, uh, uh, and the, like in a couple of when I've talked about it, I always I refer to him as Roland Daggett, because in the animated Batman cartoon, he was Roland Daggett, not John Daggett, but it's basically the same character, just in the movie he's Roland. In no, the cartoon he's Roland, movie he's John. Uh, either way, that's fine. Um, and he's basically the one that's pulling the strings, uh, for, or at least believes to be pulling the strings for Bane, bringing him into Gotham, uh, and that they were going to hope to, to, for him to get a majority share of Wayne Enterprises, because he's part of the board of directors for, for Wayne Enterprises. Um, and it does not work out, and eventually Bane kills him, um, and just, in of course the court the, the fight scene the first the very first fight scene with uh with a uh, batman and bane to me is one of the i love it so much because it felt very raw and real and because there was no background music to it at all and that's what made me love it so much more and and just sitting in my seat watching the movie because again it was you know, just no no music, like no, you know, what you would expect for a movie like this. No music in the background. It's just just the background noise of the of the sewer and just them beating the beating the shit out of each other. And I, it, it was great. And that was a conscious decision by Christopher Nolan because he wanted it to feel real for the audience. And I don't know about the others people that saw the movie, but for me it did feel very real, and that's what made me love it so much. And um and of course, this is, you know, like in the comic books, you know, great homage to that, that, uh, that Bane, uh, breaks Batman's back, uh, although some people debated on if it was his back or whatever, but yeah, he, he did, he gets him right on his knee and messes up his spine in the process, breaks his mask, um, and then he sent, he brings him to, to the pit, the little prison that they, that they are, that they, uh, that he apparently had escaped from, um, 
because uh, the whole you know story of the the child of you know, or as they they say it in this movie they say Ra's al Ghul it's supposed to be Raish al Ghul this the the child of Raish al Ghul um, which again turned out to be Talia al Ghul you know which uh, who was played by Marion Marion Cotillard uh, who throughout the movie was Miranda Tate. Uh, and because they they make it seem they 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 try to make it seem like Bane is the child of Raz, of Rachel Ghoul, but again, people who follow the lore and know the comics know that that wasn't the case. Um, and we do get to see Liam Neeson reprise his role as Rachel Ghoul, which was really cool. Um, uh, he's another one of my favorite actors, and. And what else? You're getting to see him for that little bit, which, even though the 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 Batman the Dark Knight trilogy was not like a very was not a comic a comic booky, you know, very or was it not? And it was not a comic book comic book film or series. I mean, but that little moment where he sees him in his in his prison cell in the pit felt very much like you know comic book where it was you know supernatural and all that stuff where he was speaking to the spirit of Rachel Ghoul and I did like that a lot um, um, but you know go, want to go back to Batman Forever to me Batman Forever felt like the most comic booky Batman film and I mean that in a good way but anyways back to Bat for the Dark Knight Rises uh, the, the way they tried, they tie it up at the end of the movie, where because at the beginning, Alfred says that when he, when Bruce was gone for those seven years in dark in the timeline of, of Batman Begins, that he would go to, uh, I can't remember the name of the place. It's like I would, I would, you know, I would, I would you know, going every year I would take a holiday to a cafe somewhere, and he would order a, a Fernie Branca, um. And that he would look across and hope that he would see Bruce, that they would see each other, say nothing to each other, but just acknowledge that, you know, you're living a happy life thing, you know? <laughs> and we got that at the end of the movie, because at the end of the movie, after the big battle, when, when Batman returns to Gotham to try to take Gotham back from Bane and his people, um, <clears throat> uh, he basically blows himself up, or we like to believe he blows himself up, because Bane letting this, the bringing the bomb uh, into Gotham City that's gonna explode at any moment, and that's the whole mission of him between him, Gordon, uh, Lucius Fox, and trying to get that that core to that reactor thing, and before it explodes and destroys Gotham City, and you know, and it all started because Bane had set up a bunch of bombs all over Gotham City that blew out all the bridges which when you see that far away shot when all the bridges are collapsing that's New York City and I, I love that so much when I first saw it and I realized that those were all the bridges in, in New York City like huh oh, my home <laughs> um because uh, you know from what I remembered of the entire Dark Knight trilogy they did a combination of like New York City uh Atlanta and Chicago um, uh, to make up Gotham City. Yeah, but those bridges, that's New York City. Um, and then, but then what the cool part of it was when at the, the football stadium, um, 
that that Bane blows up the football field, and that was cool. Uh, which is where we find out about you know that they're gonna use the that 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 you know this is an ordinary citizen has the detonator for this bomb, um, and but it turned out to be Talia that had the the detonator, and she says, and. Because uh, that's what he's like, Batman, like, when he's, he's like, where's the trigger? Where is it? And then she comes out and like, you know, you know, I might not be ordinary, but I am a citizen. Um, and, uh, yeah, we get, and yeah, her death, the way she just, and then just, yeah, that was a very, she's a, she's a great actress, but that death was just so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and then at the end of the film, yeah, we think that we're led to believe that he is dead. And then Alfred, in tears, thinking that he had failed Thomas and Martha, you know, by not, you know, being there to save Bruce. Uh, but turns out he's he's not dead because at the end of the movie, he's he's ran he's off in that cafe that Alfred goes to where he when he takes a holiday gets and orders a Fernie Branca. Uh, and he's sitting at the table with Celia and Kyle because they ran off and have their life together. And uh, in his in Bruce's will, apparently, uh, he he leaves Wayne Manor uh, to the city and is used to, and, and it is to be used as a home for like you know orphan children. Um, and uh, that he gave a map to John Blake, again, at the end, like, oh, you should use her real name, I like it, Robin. Um, and gives him a map that leads him to the Batcave, because he is going to be the new Batman. Because that was the theme throughout the whole movie, that, uh, because John, that he had known that, he, that Bruce was Batman, which was, which was, a, I will admit, it was a dumb way that he, he realized it was him. Um, uh, which, yeah, I, I mean, I do realize I'm kind of contradicting what I said earlier, but whatever. It's my podcast. I say what I want. Because um, Bruce is saying the whole point was that Batman could be anybody. That it, Batman is a symbol. He's not. He's not just a person. He's a symbol, and that was the whole point. He's passing on the symbol of Batman to John Blake to carry that on for Gotham City, and that's where the movie ends. And I thought it was a great fitting end. To bring it all full circle, but of course, you know, people are gonna complain like, oh, blah 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 blah, whatever. People are never gonna be satisfied, and that's whatever. That's just how, that's how it is for pretty much any anything these days, whether it's a movie, TV show, uh, sports or wrestling. If you want to talk about sports entertainment, um, it is what it is. But Dark Knight Rises is number five on my ranking of worst to best Batman movies. Bringing me to number four. Batman 1989. And I know for a lot of people this is their favorite Batman movie. And that is cool. I get why. And for a long time it was my favorite as well. It was my my first introduction to the Batman character. And it holds a very special place in my heart. And it always will. With that said, 
it is number four on my list of favorite Batman movies. And we have you know, Michael Keaton in the starring role, which was a very controversial choice at the time. Um, the fans thought that it was going to be a comedy film like Adam, like the Adam West Batman. And uh, as Kevin Smith said it in the Death of Superman uh, the, the Death of Superman Lives documentary, that the internet didn't exist back then, but the internet was angry. And that's pretty much what the reaction was. And basically every Batman since then, they've had to deal with that kind of reaction from the fans. Um, Val Kilmer dealt with it, I'm sure. George Clooney, I'm sure he got it as well. Uh, Christian Bale, I'm not sure, but probably he got a little bit of it. Ben Affleck got a lot of shit. Rob Pattinson still getting a lot of shit for being cast as Batman. You know, because that's what it is. It's, you know, and like... Dave the Film Junkie has said numerous times that the the character of Batman is bigger than any actor that plays him. That you know that the character transcends the actor, you know, because it's Batman. <laughs> um, because like the, the it's the, the it's all about the symbol of of who Batman is, is what it is, and it's just. Because people, they, we care, we love these characters so much, and that we hold them in such a special place in our hearts, that we don't know that we're afraid to see it be used improperly. I guess is the the right phrasing for that. Um, so you know, we're very protective of these characters, uh, even though you know, for the most part, they've been in fairly good hands for a lot of them. But again, I get and I get why people get protective of it. But anyways, yeah, from when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman, he was not met with love and and, and warmth like some people might might want you to believe. Um, and uh, but after a while, he you know he convinced people that yes, he was meant for this. Uh, and Tim Burton's reasoning for wanting to cast Michael Keaton. Uh, apparently had to do with his eyes because he has very em very emotive eyes and if you've seen any film starring Michael Keaton you know exactly what that what he means by that you know, he he he's very he's very good he's very good at translating a performance through just his eyes alone you know and <clears throat> uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker uh, let me look up the information for that film uh, regarding the casting because I, I love hearing some of these stories that they're written out for this <laughs> alright here we go it says uh, parallel to super casting uh, who's who of Hollywood's top stars were considered for the role of Batman including Mel Gibson Kevin Costner Charlie Sheen Tom Selleck and Bill Murray and Harrison Ford and Dennis Quaid and can you imagine how much how the, how weird the bat the movie would have been with any of them in the role it would have been different uh, and it says Burton was pressured by Warner Brothers to cast an obvious action movie star and had approached Pierce Brosnan but he had no interest in playing a comic book character you know, again can you imagine what the movie would have been like with him it says Burton was originally interested in casting an unknown actor and offered Ray Liotta a chance to audition after having completed the movie Something Wild, but Liotta declined and has gone on to regret that decision. 
And it says, Willem Dafoe, who was falsely reported to be considered for the Joker, had actually been considered for Batman early in development. That's a very interesting one. Can you imagine Willem Dafoe as Batman? Everyone always wants to cast him as a Joker, but can you imagine? And it says, Producer John Peters suggested Michael Keaton, arguing he had the right edgy, tormented quality after having seen his dramatic performance in Clean and Sober and having directed Keaton in Beetlejuice, Burton agreed. So, you know, there's that. And it says, uh, uh, again, there's uh, people that protested outside of Warner Brothers for the casting. Um, and then even some of the producers were questioned it as well. And it says here that Keaton, the Michael Keaton actually studied The Dark Knight Returns for inspiration for the character. So that's pretty cool. And then regarding the casting of the Joker, it says right here, Brad Dorff, Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow, and James Woods were considered for the Joker. Now, I knew about Brad Dorff, Tim Curry, and David Bowie, but I had no idea about John Lithgow and James Woods. Again, can you imagine the kind of performance we would have gotten with John Lithgow as the Joker? And it says, during Lithgow, during his audition, attempted to talk Burton out of casting him, a decision he would later publicly regret, stating, I didn't realize it was such a big deal. And Burton wanted to cast Dorff, but the studio refused. Huh. As Robin Williams lobbied hard for the part, and Jack Nicholson had been Olsen and Kane's choice since 1980. And Peters approached Nicholson as far back as 1986 during filming of The Witches of Eastwick. That's a very good film, by the way. Uh, and unlike Keaton, he was a popular choice for the role. Nicholson has what was known as an off-the-clock agreement. His contract specified the number of hours he was entitled to have off each day from the time he left the set to the time he reported back for filming, as well as being off for Los Angeles Lakers home games because man, he loves his Lakers, so his schedules always his movie schedules have to accommodate going to Lakers games because he's an avid Lakers game or Lakers fan and is always sitting front row at the games. And says Nicholson demanded to have it all of his scenes shot in a three-week block, schedule lapsed into 106 days, as well as top billing on promotional materials, and he received $6 million salary, as well as a large percentage of the box office gross, estimated between $60 million and $90 million. Yeah, and at that time, that was one of the most lucrative deals that any actor had ever, had ever negotiated for a movie like this. And then it says here, Sean Young was originally cast as Vicky Vale, but injured herself in a horse riding accident prior to commence, commencing the filming. And then after a couple weeks that, you know, they were scrambling, they got Kim Basinger to play Vicky Vale, of course. Um, and then we, of course, had Michael Goff as Alfred, uh, Robert Wool as Alexander Knox, uh, and it says his character was originally supposed to die by Joker's poison gas in the climax, but the filmmakers, as he put it, liked my character so much that they decided to let me live. Uh, I don't know. Wonder, I kind of wondered what the impact would have been if he actually died. And it says Billy Dee Williams was chosen as Harvey Dent because he wanted to include the villain Two-Face in a future film using the concept of an African-American Two-Face for the black and white concept. Uh, can you imagine what the woke you know, people of today would have thought of that. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones later was cast for him in Batman Forever. Uh, and uh, Tracy Walter was cast as Bob. Everyone remembers Bob. If you had the action, the Batman action figures, we all had Bob. He was the he was the the the, the shelf warmer toy that everyone remembered from that. Um, 
and as I said originally, that there was going to be a Dick Grayson in the movie. As I said, Irish child actor Ricky Addison Reed was cast as Dick Grayson before the character was removed by Warren Scarron for the revised shooting script. And of course, there's Pat Hengel as Commissioner Gordon, Jerry Hall as Alicia, Lee Wallace as Mayor Borg, uh, William Hootkins as Lieutenant Eckhart, and Jack Palance as Carl Grissom, the, the boss of the Joker before the Joker kills him after being betrayed because Joker was having an affair with his with his woman. And he sets him up at the Access Chemicals plant by, because uh, Lieutenant Eckhart is, he's a crooked cop that's working with them and he calls in an anonymous tip uh, at the Access Chemicals. So, you know, that, that's where Joker falls into the, the vat of, of chemicals because Batman just couldn't hold that grip on his hand long enough and that's when the Joker was born and uh, you know this is again one of those movies that's just I have nothing about it to complain about I mean yeah some people might say the it's, it's everything in there is a little dated and according to Tyler Breeze on the up up down down trailer reaction to Joker that with him and Xavier Woods that he that he said the Batman 1989 uh, doesn't doesn't hold up well doesn't hasn't aged well which I I disagree I respect his opinion but I disagree um but it's not as action packed as people might remember it being um because everyone was talking like oh it's an action packed thrill ride and blah blah like, there's really only like two fight scenes in the entire film, because the rest of it is just him kick, just beating the shit out of people, and that's not that's not an action scene. Like when he's first shown up, shows up on screen, and he beats up the two criminals that robbed the guy in the alleyway. That's that's not an that's not a fight scene. That's just him kicking their ass, you know. But then it's later on when he busts into the restaurant that uh, with Vicky that Vicky Vale had gone to, and also when they had to access chemical plants. So that that's those are the more action heavy sequences. Uh, and the Batmobile chase, and the third act when he's in the Batplane, uh, taking out of taking out the balloons and trying to shut down Ping Penguin uh, Joker's parade. Um, so I don't know, but that that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's not a great movie, and that the action scenes were were not great because they are definitely great. But. Yeah, it's just, and then, like I said, the score, it was, let me look at it here, that says that the score wasn't, because I, I remembered it being nominated for an Oscar, uh, don't remember if it won, uh, let me, let me look up, uh, Danny Elfman's credentials, see if it, if it shows there. Alright, come on, accolades, okay, here we go. Alright, all right. He's, he, he was nominated but didn't win, so uh, let me see what he, which, what, what if he didn't win, what awards he did win for, for Batman. Alright, he won a, a BMI Film and Television Award for that. Uh, he was nominated for a Grammy, but he didn't win. Uh, let's see. Uh, he's, uh, he's, 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 he's won a few, but not nothing like major. But you know, 
I don't know, for, for whatever reason, I thought I was nominated for an Oscar. Mm. Um, but, it is a great score. Uh, of course, we have the the iconic Batman theme that he re he resurrected for Justice League, and don't worry, Justice League is not included on this list because it's it. And I'm not going to include it when I do Superman either, in case you're wondering. Um, um, but it it it, a, it is a great sound, a great theme. It is iconic, although he, he it was very arrogant of him to say there's only one Batman theme. My theme, no, there's several themes. Um, um, although, to be fair, the theme that he composed for the Batman animated series is my favorite Batman theme. Um, but yeah, that's a great, and the, the opening is a great one as well, because you have no idea what what it is, because like, it's, it's like the camera's like flowing through the Batman symbol, is what it turns out to be at the end of the opening credits. You have no idea what it is, but then you find out, and it's awesome. Um, but one of my other favorite tracks for the... Um, from the soundtrack is the song that plays it's called the descent into misery it's the track that plays when him and vicky vale are in the batmobile heading to the Batcave. uh i, ab I absolutely love that one i really do and i don't know what it is i just love it so much i, I just i just i do um and then of course the the great soundtrack by prince uh is another great one uh and was loaded onto Spotify within the last year, so I've been having fun listening to it on there. There's uh, Party Man, uh, Trust, Scandalous, Bat Dance, Lemon Crush, uh, Vicky Waiting, uh, The Arms of Orion, Electric Chair, Future. Um, all of all of it is they're all great songs, but of course most people remember Bat Dance the most. Uh, and also, yeah, the Party Man, the song that. The Joker plays when he enters the museum, uh, and then trust the song that plays when he's ha when he has his parade, <laughs> and uh, and then the music videos, especially for Bat Dance, was is a great video because it's like the song has minimal like actual original lyrics because most of the song is dialogue from the movie, but it's still such a great song and I love it so much. It's absolutely. Badass and awesome, I love it. Um, but I lo then again, I love Prince. Prince was 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 amazing. <clears throat> um, let me see what else is here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, I was just looking up the, the other people that were featured on the on the songs, other musicians, uh, saxophone, uh, trumpet, choir, co-lead vocal, orchestration, uh, yeah, Claire Fisher, Sheena Easton, uh, Sounds of Blackness, At Atlanta Bliss, Eric Leeds, and of course Prince is the lead, and played all the instruments that he loves to play, or loved to play. Then Joker, Jack Nicholson is the Joker is one of my absolute favorite portrayals of any villain because to me the Jack Nixon was able to capture the the menace of the Joker while also capturing the the funny side of, of the Joker because he because remember he is the clown prince of crime so you know we we are familiar with him being you know yes he's a he's a psych he's a psychopath but he's also funny you know 
like 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 a maniacal funny and and to me he captures that very well and but again it's just this movie is not is not as action-packed as people like to remember it being just like the original 1978 Halloween, people don't. It's not as people remember it as being such a bloody film. It's it, there's barely any blood at all in the movie if you actually watch it. I think there's maybe like two seconds of blood. There's not there's not a lot. Um, but at the same time, to me, this Batman film was more of like a psychological, you know, f you know, film. And as I, as I said before, I love the psychological stuff. Um, and that's a big that is a big reason why I love this movie so much. And again, it was my first introduction to the Batman lore, the Batman character. Uh, so it holds a very special place in my heart. And that is why it is number four on my list of worst to best Batman films. And number three, this one, uh, not sure if people count this when I talk about Batman movies, but I count it. Number three is. Superman Dawn of Justice. Yes, I know not a lot of people might count this as a Batman movie, but he is featured in the majority of the movie, so it is a very Batman-heavy movie. And of course, DCEU fans like myself who love Zack Snyder absolutely love this movie so very much. It is a great movie. Um, and I just got a YouTube pop-up that says the, for the notification for from PlayStation. The state of play. Oh, I'll, ch I'll check that out later. Um, um, yeah, and yeah, I'm recording this Tuesday, September. Uh, <clears throat> Tuesday, September 24th. So, yeah, that's why the state of play pop-up came up. Um, I don't. I don't. Cause I think I'm. I'm think I'm gonna upload this by Friday. I'm not exactly sure when. Cause I'm working on this throughout the week. But yeah, as of right now, I'm recording this 4:03. Uh, PM Tuesday afternoon on the 24th uh, Eastern time you know US, Eastern US time uh, so yeah anyways I don't give a shit about that but um, uh, this film is definitely a divisive film to say the least and um, and yeah I can this one yeah I can understand why people that didn't like the film but at the same time, and I think it was, it's a Ben Affleck quote from when the film came out, uh, that he said that the, that the critics reacted to the film based on what they wanted in the film, not what the film actually was. And I feel like that's what a lot of fans are, do as well. Fans that hated the movie, they, they reacted to it based on what they wanted to see, not what they actually saw. Which, if that makes any sense. Um, but of course, you know, I love the movie, and I've seen it so many damn times. I saw it twice in the theater, seen it countless times on Blu-ray, even, you know, just flipping through channels on TV, like, showing, they show it on, um, my, when I, the job I was working at a couple of years ago, because I was working at a call center, and they had it on, um, 
They had it on the in the break room. The TV was on HBO, and they would show the movie quite often. And I thought it was a. Uh, I, I would I, when I would be on break, I would enjoy the few minutes that I got to watch of the movie that they were playing on the screens. So, yeah. And then yeah, flipping through channels on like TBS or TNT if they're showing the movie, I'll I'll stop to watch it, even the theatrical version. I prefer the ultimate edition, of course. Um, but I still love the movie, and. Because again, I love Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder is one of my favorite directors. I know a lot of people love to hate him, and I might even do another podcast on talking about why people hate Zack Snyder. I had done one back in January of this year, January 2019, uh, so I might even I might do a part two to that. But we'll see. But this film, the reason I love this film so much because. It takes so much inspiration from the comic books. I know a lot of people say like, "Oh, they took like three comics and put it in, into one." Blah 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 blah. Like, yeah, that's yeah, true. But at the same time, that's part of why I like it so much because they adapted different stories into one. You know, but you know when the MCU does that, nobody complains because the MCU they can do no wrong. Oh, trust me, they can do plenty wrong. Anyways, um, and with Ben Affleck, when he was originally cast back in 2013, or when they announced the casting, I was one of those people that jumped on the, like, really, Ben Affleck? What the fuck? You know, bandwagon. But then after a few months, you know, I actually said, I, like, when they, when, when the bit strips, you know, before it became Bitmoji, when, it, when, it, when bit strips came out, that it was one of the, my little animated character was give, showed a, says, you know, Julian gives a, a statement that, that changes the world or whatever nonsense, and in the speech bubble I put, Ben Affleck will be a good Batman. Um, because in, in that moment, I actually, I, that's when I decided, you know what, I'm gonna just wait and see the movie and decide if I, if he's a good Batman or not. And so, that's what I did. I waited the the two and almost two and a half years, and that opening day, when I saw him, when I saw, went to see Batman vs Superman in theaters, I was left with my jaw, with my mouth open, pretty much from start to finish because everything that I, everything that was up there, I just loved it so much. I was amazed and mesmerized by the story that Zack Snyder told in, in this film. Um, and that even my mom, because I, I went with my mom went with me to go see it. Even she liked Ben Affleck as Batman. Um, and you, she doesn't usually watch those kind of movies. She because she she you know prefers Michael the Michael Keaton Batman films because she likes Michael Keaton. But even she liked Batman versus Superman. Um, what else? Uh, you know, but but yeah, to me Ben Affleck surpassed far surpassed my expectations of this film, and is one of my favorite actors to have played Batman. He definitely had the most, to me, the most comic accurate look of Batman. Because his look was literally like, other than, you know, other than not having the, the black, you know, un black underwear over the tights, his costume was straight out of the comic books. Uh, not just Dark Knight Returns Batman. You can look at the other comic books that, that have had the gray and black Batman suit, and it's straight out of those comics as well. And... And it's just, it is my favorite Batman costume. It just looks, and every, every time I, I look at the pictures of, uh, I look at a picture of, of him in that costume, I just, I, I love it so much. And the score, the score from Hans Zimmer and, and Junkie XL, every, you know, Batman inspired track in this movie, 
I love it so much, especially the music that plays during the, that Batmobile chase when he's after Lex Luthor's people to to retrieve the the piece of kryptonite that they found in the Indian Ocean. And that that track, I love it so much, and I know people have the issues with the whole Martha thing, but and I've I've you know I've I've defended it so much. I'm not gonna do it here, but it's just again the psychological aspect of that is what I loved so much, and that op and that opening sequence of <clears throat> that opening sequence where with Mo Thomas and Martha Wayne being killed, to me was the most beautifully shot version of Bruce Wayne's parents being murdered that I've ever seen in live action, because we saw it in the 80, 1989 Batman movie, we saw it in Batman Begins, and we saw we saw it again kind of in Batman Forever, and then we see it again here, and especially because it was, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and I can't remember what her name was from that played playing Martha, like the I always felt like the fact that it was those two actors specifically playing Thomas and Martha Wayne, that this was not going to be a one and done, you know, deal for them as those characters, that we would have eventually seen them in a in a live action Flashpoint story, ah, but you know, look doesn't look like we're going to get that anytime soon. Ah, anywho, uh, and then we are we we're introduced to to Ben Affleck's Batman or Bruce Wayne, uh, for me. From the the black the black order, uh, black not black order the black order, whatever the the terraforming event at the end of Batman of Steel, but through his uh, through Bruce Wayne's point of view, and I love that they so much attention to detail that you can put a side by side comparison, and everything from Man of Steel matched so perfectly from in that opening sequence of Batman vs Superman. Um, uh, Black Black Zero is I think is what it is. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's, it's popular, Black Zero event, whatever it was. That just again the recreation of it from from that point of view that I thought was just absolutely absolutely beautiful and just brilliant, so brilliant and and it is another reason why I love Zack Snyder because it's again such great attention to detail with that story and having all of those. Um, all those things put together like that. So much attention to detail. Um, uh, and then we get the proper introduction to, to Batman when the, the Gotham police go to the to that abandoned building where these women are being held, I guess, for like sex trafficking or whatever. Um, you know, that he branded that guy that's like handcuffed to the radiator or whatever, which is pretty cool. And you know, again, like rather than because he, he, he rather than killing the guy outright, he brands him, and as they say in in the in the the I think later on in the movie, the in the in the deleted scenes that are featured in the Ultimate Edition, that being branded with that, it's a death sentence, you know, to the other people inside. Which again, if you had seen the Ultimate Edition, that 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 they they go into more detail about a lot of that stuff. And a lot of the critics that hated the theatrical cut love the Ultimate Edition. I've probably mentioned that quite a few times on, on this podcast, but it's okay. Because uh, I feel like it bears repeating sometimes. Um, um, and then seeing uh, Bruce, like, one thing that actually I didn't see this until somebody had posted a screenshot of it on Twitter, that um, 
when we first see Bruce in the Batcave with Alfred and they're looking at the monitors, that there's a monitor on the side that has the Superman symbol like marked on different parts on the map. Because for those two years that Bruce has been, that since Bruce you know first saw Superman, he had been tracking everything that he's been doing. And again, that, that's such a detail that they don't focus on it and they really should have focused more on that because that's a, a really cool detail that nobody else really noticed until somebody that I follow on Twitter had pointed it out and I just thought, wow, it's like he really is being, you know, as they say, the world's greatest detective in that, in that instance and I loved it so much. Uh, but then, yeah, we get that the awesome chase sequence, which was really cool, and again, the, the great score by by Hans and, and Junkie for that one is brilliant. Um, and then another deleted scene went after the kryptonite is stolen from LexCorp, that they show him on the security video coming down from the ceiling and snatching a guy from you know from the from below, which is such a, a Batman a pure Batman moment, and they didn't include that. I hated that that they didn't include that in the theatrical cut. Um, and of course, we get this, the the armored mech suit that Batman wears when he fights Superman, which again, straight out of Dark Knight Returns, I love that. And, and that fight was a great fight. Uh, uh, the, in the Ultimate Edition, there there is like an added like three or four minutes to the fight. Um, and you know, then of course you know it gets it gets stopped by the Martha moment. Not going to comment on that anymore. Um, and then we do get to. One of my favorite Batman scenes in any movie featuring Batman, and it is the the warehouse scene where he goes to rescue Martha Martha Kent. I'm sorry, and it is such a great badass Batman scene. And again, it's a pure Batman moment. Or just it's basically it's just I think the way I described it in my when I talked about Batman vs Superman last year uh, that that it's like a straight it's a scene straight out of the Arkham games. Uh, which and I've been replaying the the Arkham games again recently. Uh, uh, should really get back into that because I've been taking a break from it a couple of days. But <sighs> that's alright though. Uh, but yeah, it is straight out of the the Arkham games. The way he's he's fighting everybody. Then <laughs> um, again, another you know moment from straight out of Dark Knight Returns when when the guy says you know I'll kill her and then he goes I believe you, um, and then. The, the final fight with Doomsday, where he he doesn't do much, uh, of, of course, but it's because he's only human. He's not a god like Wonder Woman. He's not an alien like Superman. So what do you expect him to do you know, when, with, when confronted with these guys? What do you expect him to do? Uh, so he does hide for the majority of the fight, but then he, in that last moment, he shoots him with the with the kryptonite gun that he has to stun him, and that gives them the time. That gives Superman and the Wonder Woman the chance to to take him down, and yeah, and then the other great Batman moment when he uh, corners Lex Luthor in prison, and in the the Ultimate Edition, it's a much longer scene um, where he tells him that you know like oh, and we have facilities for you know for the for the mentally ill like you and whatever stuff because Lex Luthor says you know I'm I'm not I'm insane I'm not fit to stand trial then he says he's like you know we have these you know facilities to treat you know the mentally ill with with compassion and whatever and he says but that's not where you're going I arranged for you to be transferred to Arkham Asylum I have some friends there and they're expecting you that was a great moment too
And and just the way they set it everything up for what was supposed to come in the original version of Justice League. I hate that as of right now we're not going to get to see the true payoff to everything that we saw in this movie. Like, like the nightmare scene uh, as well. That, that was gonna, we, everything was going to tie into all of that. But mm, because people decided that my Batman, they that all those plans were scrapped, and now nobody knows what's going on with any of these movies. And um, while I'm, yeah, I am a little upset with that. I'm still looking very much looking forward to Matt Reeves' ba Batman movie starring Robert Pattinson. And apparently, the rumor is also uh, that we had a, that Jonah Hill is in talks to play a villain, possibly the Penguin. Um, that um, Jeffrey Wright is in negotiations to be Commissioner Gordon. So that that would be cool as well, and countless other actors that have that are negotiating to be in this movie. So we'll see. I'll probably talk more about that on a podcast later on, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, Batman vs Superman, Ben Affleck, Batfleck, number three on my list of worst to best Batman movies, bringing me to number two. begins uh which i mean so honestly it kind of doesn't really leave us much suspense as what what's number one but whatever talking about batman begins it is my favorite origin story for batman movies uh, or just the batman version origin story done in a movie for batman um well i mean in live action because to me the best batman movie is batman mask of the phantasm but, you know, this this is about live-action Batman. <laughs> but yeah, Batman Begins. Again, we got to see Christian Bale as Batman for the first time. Uh, uh, Michael Caine as Alfred. Cillian Murphy as Scarecrow. Liam Neeson as Rachel Ghoul. Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. Uh, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. Um, Ken Watanabe is who we thought was Rachel Ghoul, but he was not. He was just, you know, somebody else in this, you know, place there for the for the, to the for distraction and all that stuff. Because uh, uh, Liam Neeson, he's first introduced as um, um, something Ducard. Uh, let me look that up real quick. Alright, here we go. Batman Begins. Uh, like what? Like, what's looking up? What his character name was originally list was what he was called throughout the movie before this, the truth came out. Uh, uh, it just it just listed as Ducard. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, and Tom Wilkinson is Conway Falcone. That was cool. And Mark Boone Jr., who most might remember uh, for. <clears throat> Um, from Sons of Anarchy, he was uh, Commissioner Gordon's partner, Flass. And uh, I also had uh, Colin McFarlane as Commissioner Loeb. That was, he was very good in that as well. And uh, let me look at some of the other cast members of this film. Uh, yeah, Linus Roach as Thomas Wayne. Uh, Sarah Stewart as Martha. Uh, Richard Richard Brake as as Joe Chill, 
he's a, f a phenomenal actor as well. Done a lot of great movies. Um, and some of the other people that are listed here. Let me see. Is it the the kid that plays King Joffrey on on Game of Thrones? I'm trying to look look look, look up the the him look him up on here because I don't want to see what the name of the kid was that he played. Hmm. Oh yeah, and it was Victor's ass played by Tim Booth. So I, I almost forgot about him. Uh, Damn, I can't find Jack Gleason. That's that's who he was. Yeah, and it just says little boy. Hmm. All right, that's that's kind of lazy. Uh, and then Rutgard Howard. He was a uh, he was Mr. Earl from the board of at Wayne Enterprise. Uh, he's another very good actor as well. And of course, the score was uh, James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer. Great combination of comp of composers. I uh, can't go wrong with either of those men. <clears throat> it was written by David S. Goyer. Uh, well, this, let me see. Story by by David S. Goyer and screenplay by Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer. Uh, oh, we'll see. See, Christopher Nolan co-wrote it. That's no wonder it's such a great script. Um, and yeah, the story is the origin of Batman. Hence, the name Batman Begins. And and we uh, are quickly introduced to him uh, with as a little boy with a uh, young Rachel Dawes as kids, where they they're playing with it was it like a bat tail or something I think is what it was or some kind of like arrowhead or whatever it, the thing was whatever it was found it in Bruce's garden at at the mansion at the Wayne mansion uh, and then he's trying to hide and he falls through a hole where he is you know tackled by the by these bats that you know they were he they were he was frightened of them and all that <clears throat> and um i'm trying to you know trying to do justice uh, but i'm just no pun intended uh on describing these movies because these are such amazing movies that i don't want to you know i don't want to I don't want to speak out of out of place. I guess would be the right f term for it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Who knows? Um, but it's just I, don't know, I I can't say I can't. I don't think anything I say about this film can really do it justice. It's just such a great movie and um, getting to see truly how Batman came about because Batman 1989 some people a lot of people like to treat it as an origin story it was really not much of an origin story because it, it picks up with him already having been Batman for a while um, just like Batman for Superman it takes Batman 20 years into being Batman um, but you know this one is a true origin story you're getting to see how Batman comes about and I like it because this one much like the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, had the right balance of the, the drama and 
humor to break tension. Uh, whereas, you know, MCU, they insert humor anywhere that they can, and that, like I said, that takes me out of the movie sometimes. Um, but not here. They, It was very well-balanced. It was a very well-balanced story. Um, especially when we get to see uh, the Scarecrow for the first time, that he's uh, treating uh, Falcone after Batman had captured him. And they sent him to Arkham Asylum, you know, trying to plead in the insanity and all that stuff. And just, and then he takes off the mask, sprays the toxin in his face to make him just flip out. And uh, such a, uh, such an awesome way to introduce Scarecrow to to the to live action film because <clears throat> originally, if you know Batman and Robin had not been a the failure that it was, uh, the next film would have been, I think the working title was Batman Unchained, and there was going to be Scarecrow in that film, and that apparently Joel Schumacher wanted to go back to a more serious tone, and it would have had featured a lot of Arkham Asylum stuff going on, and Scarecrow would have been the primary villain, and I mean, it would have been very intriguing to see that film, but at the same time, I'm happy that uh, Scarecrow was saved for the Dark Knight trilogy because I don't, as much as I like Joel Schumacher as a director, I don't know how how he would have handled Scarecrow. Um, but again, I would love to live, go visit the parallel universe where Batman Unchained exists, uh, because you know, if Batman if Batman Unchained was made, we might not have gotten Batman Begins. So you know, everything happens for a reason, and such again, just a great origin story for Batman and just again it's it is my but if I have to rank like my favorite origins films for superheroes uh for me I would, I would maybe I would probably say Man of Steel then Batman Begins uh then Spider Spider-Man from 2002 and then Wonder Woman um uh, it's just I mean because in Christian Bale like I wasn't that familiar with him before Batman Begins I mean I did see American Psycho and I really loved him in that uh, but then Batman Begins is where I got to really learn what kind of an actor he is. And it made me such a big fan of his. And then I got to, I got to watch other movies that he starred in, like The Prestige, which to me is Christopher Nolan's most underrated film. And I absolutely love that. Um, the movie The Fighter, where he won an Oscar playing uh, playing that movie. Uh, uh, American Hustle. Uh, the, the movie The Vice movie, where he played Dick Cheney. Just, you know, such a... You know, so many brilliant performances that he has done, and uh, it's just amazing that Batman Begins is the one that puts his name on the map, even though he had already, to me, proven himself to be such a great actor. Uh, let me take a drink. I'm, my throat's getting dry. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm good now. <laughs> um, is just and in the score, like in reintroducing a new theme for Batman after previously having the ones by T Danny Elfman and Elliot Goldstein, you know, cut the combination of James Newton Howard and uh, Hans Zimmer. To me, was the was, they were the right they were the perfect choices to reintroduce. Batman in you know th through the music, um, 
And like I said, I've been listening to the dark to the music of the Dark Knight trilogy in the background. I don't know if you, how well you can hear it. I'm hoping I don't get a copyright strike from that. But anyways, um, uh, it is very such an such an emotional set score, and like the like the music tells tells the story along with the visual that you see on screen. Uh, like when I listen to these to this to these soundtracks to the to the scores of these of this of this movie, I can see the movie in my head just by listening to the music. Like and to me, like that's how you know you had a we have a great score to a movie where you can visualize every scene of the movie in your head just by the music. You know, the the best scores have that effect on you. Yeah, you know, and because they can resonate with you on such a deep emotional level. And um, and Katie Holmes, you know, I'm talking about Ona Gold. I want to talk about the performances of some of the Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. Nothing against Katie Holmes as a, as an actress. I mean, because she's not a terrible actress, but I mean, at least as of right now, I don't think she's going to be winning any Oscars. <laughs> but you know, I didn't mind her so much as Rachel Dawes. Uh, the, there wasn't to me there wasn't really much chemistry between her and Christian Bale. I mean. Yeah, and it's no fault of them. It's just to me, it just wasn't there. But you know, she she did well for her part, and of course, Christian Bale knocked it out of the park. Michael Caine as Alfred uh, was a great Alfred. One of my fa probably my favorite Alfred. Uh, Jeremy Irons as Alfred. We didn't get to see enough of him for, for us to really judge. Although I absolutely loved him as well. Uh, Michael Goff as Alfred in those four films was was great as well. Um. And Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox was perfect. Uh, I don't know many other actors who can do it as well as he did. Um, well, you know, maybe we'll see in the Matt Reeves Batman if they decide to bring Lucius Fox. Who, who would be great for that? Um, on... oh, God damn, who else? <laughs> um, and, <clears throat> Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. Uh, you know. I wish we could have seen more of J.K. Simmons as Gordon in Justice League and you know other films. You know, we'll see how the, what the future has in store for that. But Gary Oldman, as of right now, is my favorite Commissioner Gordon. As Gary Oldman, he's such a great um, actor that he can pretty much nail any role that, that you give him. And and other than playing Commissioner Gordon, my, probably my favorite role he's ever done uh, is from The Professional. You know. I love that one because he's just so like manic and psychotic in that movie, and just oh, I just absolutely love that. And I also love the mysterious black in the Harry Potter movies. Um, but yeah, Commissioner Gordon and his performance in The Professional are my favorite performances from Gary Oldman. Uh, I don't know, just with Chris with Christopher Nolan, he always he he only gets the best actors for his movies, you know. And that's just you know, but I guess that's also a testament to how great of a director he is. So, yeah, and he definitely degraded, degraded, directed a great new in, new introduction to the legend of Batman, bringing me to you know number one on my list of Batman worst to best. I mean, 
there should be no surprise at this point. Of course, number one is The Dark Knight from 2008. Uh, such, such a brilliant, 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 brilliant movie. Probably my second favorite comic book movie of all time. Um, sorry. <clears throat> but just, yeah, my second favorite comic book movie of, of all time. Uh, because, well... No, number one is not Man of Steel. That might shock some of you. Number one is from on that list for me is The Watchmen, or not just well not The Watchmen. It's just Watchmen. Yeah, for me, Watchmen is the greatest comic book movie of all time. Yeah, you can fight me on that. You can't change my mind. Yeah, it's Watchmen, Dark Knight, Man of Steel. That's my top three superhero films of all time. And truth, you know, I know some people will say that Dark Knight is overrated. I don't think so. And I might, I would probably, I would agree with on other films that somebody might say is overrated, but Dark Knight, there's no way that to me that you can, th I can agree with anybody saying that it might be overrated even a little bit, <laughs> because this is another film that actually, actually, this one I actually saw it three times in theaters. I saw it the opening weekend, then I saw it with uh, with my brother, uh, and then I saw it again with a girl that I was, you know, kind of dating at the time. Um, and then, of course, I've seen it countless times on DVD and Blu-ray in the last 11 years, because it is just the perfect Batman movie. Uh, again, perfect live action, because as I said before, Mask of the Phantasm is my all-time favorite Batman movie, because, yeah, but live action, this is the perfect Batman movie. Um, because, you know, of course, Christian Bale delivering another great performance. I know a lot of fans had a problem with his Batman voice that he used because it was very deep, gravelly, and was like, you know, people said you couldn't understand it, just like they said with Tom Hardy's Bane voice. Uh, but, you know, with Tom Hardy's Bane, the mask that he wore, you can, you know, you can kind of excuse it. Uh, but yeah, Christian Bale's performance was great. Um, Michael Caine gave a great emotional performance as Alfred again. Uh, Morgan Freeman, another great performance from him. Cillian Murphy showed up as Scarecrow again, which was really cool. Um, Aaron Eckhart as R.V. Dent, eventually becoming Two-Face at the end of the film, was great as well. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall as the the, the journalist for, Goth for, for the Gotham News was really cool. Um... <clears throat> uh, and Mackie Gyllenhaal replacing Katie Holmes as uh, Rachel Dawes. I don't remember the exact reason why she replaced her, because Katie Holmes was still married to Tom Cruise at the time, and you know I'd read somewhere that he controlled what movies she could and couldn't do, uh, which I don't know. And then of course the brilliant, brilliant Heath Ledger as the Joker won an Oscar for it, and deservedly so. And you know. Things are, you know, if we're to believe what, what we've heard about Joaquin Phoenix and his performance as Joker, he might he might be the, the second Joker to win an Oscar, and I uh, will definitely be seeing that movie next weekend as well. And I promise, this, this time I do promise that I will see it and have my review up for that one, because uh, I was going to see It Chapter 2, but I changed my mind uh, at the last minute, decided I would wait for the Blu-ray, but the Joker movie... I am not going to change my mind. I am definitely, definitely going to see the, the movie opening weekend. I'm not sure about opening day, but I'll definitely see it either that Saturday or that Sunday, for sure. Um, 
and I will have my review up either that following Monday or that Tuesday, depending on when, how late, I, how late or earlier that I record it. Because if I see it that Sunday, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is that, that same night, so I would have to record it after the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, and then have it uploaded either Monday or Tuesday. Um, but anyways, uh, the, the Dark Knight, like I said, is to me the perfect Batman movie live action. Um, the score is absolutely brilliant. In fact, the, the music that I'm, the soundtrack that I'm currently listening is from the Dark Knight. Like I said, I'm listening to the whole Dark Knight trilogy, but the, currently it is the Dark Knight that I'm listening to. Um, and honestly, like just nothing, really nothing I can say can truly do the film justice. You just have to see it for yourself because, um, like, I don't know. It's just. Just, you just have to see it for yourself. Because no words, I have no words that are good enough to truly do this film justice. No pun intended there. But yeah, The Dark Knight. Ah. Greatest live action Batman movie of all time. And that does it for my second edition of Worst to Best. Like I said, I'm going to try to do these at least once a month because these are so damn long. Like this one, god Damn, two hours I've been talking about these movies. Uh, much longer than I... Like, yeah, like 20-something minutes longer than I did talking about Spider-Man. Uh, well, that's Batman for you. Yeah. And next month, I'll have my ranking of the Halloween films, because that one I made sure I'm going to have that. I'm going to record it sometime in October, have it up uploaded uh, to go live on Halloween Day for you all to listen to on... Uh, Spotify, Google Podcast, uh, Radio Public, YouTube, you'll get to listen to it on all of those. And, but yeah, you know, hope you enjoyed hearing what I had to say on this one. And if you want, if you haven't checked out the Spider-Man one, please do very as well. And also my retro film reviews, you can check those out. I have Lion King 1994, I have Master of the Universe, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I'm going to try to do some more of these within the, within the next month. Uh... And I'm going to have my, uh, uh, next week I'll have my uh, pay-per-view, a uh, classic pay-per-view, uh, re classic wrestling pay-per-views, rather. Uh, I'll have that premiering sometime next week, because uh, it'll be the 22nd anniversary of the debut Hell in a Cell match. Uh, and I'll be talking about the Bad Blood 1997 pay-per-view. Uh, and because, again, next weekend is the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, and I will have my predictions for that on the October the 5th, that Saturday, because on Friday the 4th is the premiere of SmackDown on Fox. I want to get all the last-minute SmackDown stuff, you know, in, in for that one. Um, but yeah. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this one. I am Julian, and I'll see you all next time. Bye.